So, uh, we are in Second Peter this morning. This series is about taking the next step. It's about growing in Jesus. Because if you are growing in Jesus, then you are being changed, groomed, shaped, in order to be able to share Jesus. And share Jesus, which you probably see around here in the building, is not just like a motto, it's not just a purpose statement, it's not just something clever that we need to put on coffee cups, because you have to have something on the coffee cups. People would be weirded out by Batman coffee cups, which was my first suggestion, but got vetoed by the elders wisely, but it's who we are. It's who we are as a church, Oakland Drive Christian Church. That is who we are. We exist to do but one thing, and that is to share Jesus. If we are not about this business, I would suggest that we are not being true to ourselves. But I would go even deeper than that, because that's what Christians are supposed to be all about, no matter what church you go to. You exist to face the darkness and to share Jesus We don't fight darkness with darkness. We don't fight hate with hate. We don't fight violence with violence. We have a message of hope. We have a message of resurrection. We have a message of reconciliation. We have a message that the world needs to hear. And if you, church, don't scream it at the top of your lungs, no one else will. That's your calling. And so it's so important when Peter opens up this chapter in verse, um, verse 5, and he says, for this very reason, make every effort. How much effort? How much effort? Every effort. Leave no, no effort behind. Like all of your effort should be pushing forward to this. Let me put this... Um, in a way that I was really struck by this week, I was reading a book by a dead guy, of course, right? Um, and uh, he was talking about sin and how it works. And, and I know this, you, you know, you know things and then sometimes it just strikes your heart differently at times, you know what I mean? And so, so sin is two things. It is acts of commission, that is things that you do that are wrong, right? We, we're going to face judgment, we have to answer for the things that we do that are wrong. Everybody gets that. But it's also acts of omission, things that we should have done that we left behind. So the two greatest commandments are what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart and strength and soul and mind, and to love your, right, as yourself, all right? And, and on these hinge the law and, and the prophets. And so we could, add, we, could, we could point to this in acts of commission. That is, when I break God's law, when I sin against God, when I sin against my neighbor, when I do something that's wrong, that's sin. But also, when I don't love God with my whole heart, when every, every thought of my being isn't directed towards him, when I don't help my neighbor when I ought to, when I don't step out and defend my neighbor when they're being uh, persecuted or hurt, when I see something going on and I don't do anything, that is also sin. Now, just to be confessing to you this morning, I've done a lot of bad things in my life, lots of wrong. But if I weigh that against all of the things that I should have done, (laughs) that's way more, right? 
So thanks be to God that in Jesus Christ we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins, because there's a big, huge weight against them. And so what, what Peter is doing here is he's not, he's not trying to guilt trip you and make you feel bad and, and like wave hell in your face and say, you better straighten up right now or you're going to lose your salvation. No, he's reminding them. He says, listen, you were made for it. And we, we read this and talked about this last week. You were made for glory. You were made for excellence. You have been granted, in verse 4, his precious and very great promises. That's yours. That's your inheritance as a Christian. And so he says, in light of all that God has done before, for you, in light of all the darkness that is out there, and yet you have a message of such fantastic light, what should you do? You should make every effort to take that faith that God has given you, that you might be saved, and add something to it. Make it greater. Right? The starting point is the starting point, but you should be way further ahead. So continue to add to that because you are, he said in verse 4, right, partakers of the divine nature. The very characteristics that make God God have now been imputed to you, have been placed inside of you as the Holy Ghost is residing inside of you. If you're a Christian here today, there is some God in you, right? That's an incredible thought. You are being made for so much more. And Peter says, grab it. Take it. Add to your faith moral excellence. Your Bible's probably translated something like virtue. Add to your uh, moral excellence, he says. Uh, add to your moral excellence, he says, knowledge. Add to it knowledge. Now, knowledge is key to the Christian life. And Tragically, I sense that it is neglected in many of our lives. And it's important that, that this knowledge follows after. And remember, think of this as a chain. It starts with faith, and then on top of faith or connected to faith is moral excellence. And that comes first because, listen, you don't need to know every single doctrine of truth. You don't need to have every verse of the Bible memorized in order to be uh, following in Jesus' footsteps. In fact, the word disciple that we see so often in the Bible, Jesus calls us to be his disciples, was used as the English word for the Greek word because disciple back in those days meant something that's kind of lost on us today, I think, because it's attached to religiosity. But what it meant in those days was an apprentice. And what's an apprentice do? Walks with the person who's who is an electrician maybe and they're wiring this and the apprentice is standing there and he's watching and he's seeing and, and he's, he's beginning to get his hands in there or she's beginning to get her hands in there begin to do the work of the master himself, right? And so the idea of the apprentice is that you are able to begin to add to your faith moral excellence. You can look at Jesus, the master, and say, I can do some of those things that Jesus did, right? But unfortunately, some of us stop right there we go to church for a while. We might learn a few you know, key phrases and jargons so that no one like, finds us out. But we stop right there. Now what does Peter say? No, no, stop right there. Dig deeper. Dig deeper. You should know the scriptures. If, you're, if you've been in the faith or for years, you should know the scriptures. You should know the deep teachings. You should be diving deeply into the truth about God. It's kind of crazy to me because all of you have smartphones, right? Even Chuck, even Chuck this morning showed me. He has a, pull out Chuck. They're not going to believe me. Let them see. Let them see that smartphone. It's the smallest smartphone I've ever seen. And it was free, which is also key. But Chuck now has it. 
And you know what Chuck said to me? And this is one of the reasons. I love him for a lot of reasons. But this is the one of the reasons I like him so much. Is because the first thing he said was, I'm able to check my email and I'm able to read the Bible. I'm able to look at Bible stuff on it. You, you, have, you have the computing power that was unthought of 15 to 20 years with science fiction in your pocket. And yet how much of that do you use toward deepening your knowledge of God? Right? All of us sort of take a little shame face. Come on, everyone, shame face. Because me too, like we are all guilty of spending too much time on Facebook and not enough time on Bible Gateway, right? That's all of us. And, and, and Peter is, he's encouraging us. He's saying, look, look, okay, look shame face for a minute, get downtrodden for a minute, and then say, okay, now it's time to pick myself up and do better, to be greater. Because those precious and very great promises, those are mine in Jesus Christ. The Spirit is in me and he's pulling on me, he's calling me. He's saying, dive deep into a knowledge of God. Dive deep into a knowledge of God. And I want to highlight why that matters so much in, a, in just, a, just a few things. The first one is this, and that is knowledge um, is a weapon in the arsenal of a Christian. Knowledge is a weapon. In fact, I would, I would say that prayer and knowledge are your two primary weapons in the arsenal of, of the Christian. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says this, We destroy every argument and every lofty opinion that is raised against a knowledge of God. Notice what he does not say there. He does not say we destroy people. We do not destroy people. We destroy arguments, right? False teachings, things that set themselves up against God. The Christian is there to say, no, no, you're wrong, right? That does not represent the way the world is. That does not represent the way that God's will is. This does not uh, showcase the decrees of God. And I want to bring to you some truth here. So we destroy those arguments And then we take every thought. Now, I like this because we often think of it as our own thoughts. I've always heard it interpreted as, like, it's my thoughts. And and that's true. You should take every thought. But in the context, it's not speaking about my own thoughts. It's speaking about somebody else's thoughts. Somebody presents you with an argument. Somebody presents you with something that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And you destroy that argument. You take it captive. And you give it back to them in the name of Jesus Christ. And, and what I love about this, this idea of knowledge and what I, what I love about Jesus himself, so many things to love. Let's pick one. Uh, Jesus, and you know the story, in the 40 days and 40 nights, he's in the wilderness, and Satan himself comes to Jesus and tempts him. And Jesus at no point says, listen, man, I, I'm a part of the triune God. Let me explain to you the doctrine of the Trinity here. I was part of the one, I, I was there when you were created. I made you, Satan. Take a hike. He doesn't do that, does he? What does he do? He quotes scripture. Jesus doesn't even use his own authority. He doesn't say, listen, I wrote this down way back when here. Let me quote it to you. He just quotes it straight up. Jesus uses scripture to defeat Satan. If you want to stand against the darkness, if you want to stand against the darkness, you better have in your right hand the sort of truth. You better have the scriptures Memorize them, keep them in your phone, keep them in your pockets, keep a Bible handy, keep a Bible in, every, in our cars, in a glove compartment. I mean, just put Bibles all over the place, right? Like in, wherever they would hide guns, hide Bibles, right? Hide Bibles. Start giving Bibles out to people. You know, like the, the word of God is a weapon to be used against the darkness. Not to be used against people, but to be used against things that are false. 
to destroy those lofty arguments that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. That's you. You're called to do that. You're a fighter in this. You're a fighter in this. Another thing is that knowledge of Christ is the greatest of all desires. I quoted this um, on Wednesday night, uh, and I want to talk about it again. Philippians 3, 8. I, I'm really struck by the, just this, this passage where, where Paul is talking. He says, Indeed, I count everything as a loss. And here, um, the, the translation, uh, it, it, it shouldn't be like, I count everything as loss, but the, the word loss, some of your Bibles will translate like rubbish, um, refuse. It's the kind of thing you find in a toilet, right? That's what the word means there. Paul says, then, all of this stuff that I have done, and he's done a lot, right? Taking beatings for Jesus. He's planted churches before that. He was studying scriptures and memorizing things and teaching in the synagogue. He was, he says, a Jew among Jews. And all of his accomplishments, all the things that he's done, all of his accolades, he says, you know what that stuff is? It's garbage. When I compare it to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You have something that so many other people don't have. You have the opportunity to know God. That should be the greatest and deepest desire of every Christian. I want to know God. It should be like a hunger. Like, I want to know more about Laura. I've spent 12, almost 12, years Married to you, I can't count the other ones. She could give you dates and times and those sorts of things. But I I want to spend more time, I want to spend the rest of my life getting to know this woman because she keeps on surprising me. I keep on thinking I'm doing things right and then suddenly I find out, no, you're totally wrong, right? This is is marriage, the joy and beauty of marriage, right? I want to know, like that is just a pale comparison to what our desire should be as Christians. We should be deeply desiring to know God more But this uh, goes beyond just mere head knowledge. I have up here um, uh, Ephesians chapter 3. And I want to read this little section here, verses 14 through uh, 19. It says, for this reason, so Paul is speaking, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in, in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant to you, so he's speaking to the Ephesians, average Christians just like you and me, may grant to you to be strengthened, with the power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, and this is the part that I need to underline, I don't have a pen with me, but um, that you may comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. See, um, I can tell you facts about Laura. I can tell you she doesn't drink enough water, and she won't, no matter how much you hound her. I can tell you that she doesn't like uh, uh, chocolate very much, and she's terrified of spiders. Like a little tiny one right there, she will run to the far side of the room crying. I can tell you all kinds of facts about her, but is that enough to say that I know her? A historian might know from birth to death the life of some famous figure. But does that historian know that person? We would all say, of course not. No, they don't know them. You see, Christianity is unique amongst all the religions in the world. All the religions of the world attack two basic fundamental Christian truths. One, the deity of Christ, right? So if we think of Islam or we think of the Jehovah Witnesses next door, one of these directions, that direction. Thank you, everybody. 
The witnesses next door who will use the scriptures as well, they deny the divinity of Jesus Christ. But they also deny the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, right? They all do that. In fact, Islam, if you read the Quran, the Quran can teach you all kinds of things about who God is. In fact, less about who God is and more about what God wants you to do. All these steps that you need to keep, hopefully that when you die, you have achieved enough good and not done enough bad that you can not go to hell but can go into paradise, right? That's the message of the Quran. The message of Christianity is completely different. It is that by grace you have been saved so that you might know God, that you might have a relationship with God, that the Holy Spirit would come and dwell, that's why we baptize, right? be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and receive the gift, the indwelling power and presence of the Holy Spirit, that you might know God. That's a surpassing greatness. Nothing else in all this world can compare to saying, I know God. I don't just know facts about God. I don't just know things about God from the Bible. I know God. It's beautiful, isn't it? Knowledge, further, allows us to instruct one another. Knowledge allows us to instruct one another. Romans 15, 14 says this, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness. And here we might go to that word that we've been using in our chain, add to faith, Moral excellence, right, or virtue, we might say goodness. Here he's using the same thing. Uh, Goodness, full of goodness, and filled with knowledge, and those two things brought together create what? An apprentice. Create a disciple. Create somebody who is able to follow after Jesus Christ. But also, he says, allows us to be able to instruct one another. Now, this is various duties in which we are called to instruct one another as Christians. If you are a father here today... You are, according to Deuteronomy 6, in charge of instructing your children. I am very thankful for Ken and Judy and all of the work that they do on Wednesday night. And if you have children or grandchildren or neighbors or friends with kids, don't kidnap anybody. But, you know, ask, you know, like, ask, can I take your kids to church? You know, that, that's all these kids, especially here in this church, should be here on Wednesday night and receiving the great benefit of learning from them. Uh, I appreciate Christine uh, and her work with Emery um, Sunday mornings, but on Judgment Day, when we stand before God, God is not going to say, well, Judy, you were supposed to teach Emery about Jesus. No, he's going to look right at me and say, Dad, did you teach your child about Jesus? Because the responsibility lies right here, doesn't lie anywhere else. And so I'm very thankful for all of the church involved, right? But in the end of the day, it's up to me. If you're a single mom here, I pat you on the back. Or that'd be like a face smack, really, the way you're facing. But I I applaud you. If you're a single mom here today, right, that both those roles are on you. And you, men of the church, should be stepping in to mentor these young kids, right, who need that male influence, who need to have somebody teaching them about God. And so we are called then to disciple our homes. We know that... um, the elder is, of course, called to teach. And some of you are like, well, I'm not, you know, Eric was um, here ordained as a, a, a deacon, not an elder. And so he's like, I don't have to worry about it, except for Ian's right there. But um, we are all called here. Oh, I'm not giving you anything. That's why you're all looking at me weird. There we go. The older men are to teach the younger men and the older women to the younger women. So if you are here today, and I'll let you categorize yourself as older or not older. I won't touch that. Um, 
But if you are progressing in the faith, those who are behind you, you should be busy mentoring and teaching and bringing up in the faith. And if all of you are going to say, well, somehow I'm going to weasel my way out of this one and this one and this one, you can't weasel your way out of this one, right? You are a believer. You are called, according to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the hope that is in you. All Christians are obliged to do this. Somebody is going to ask you, if you are the disciple who is growing, who is adding to your faith moral excellence, and then adding that moral excellence knowledge, hopefully you are shining like the sun, and somebody's going to ask you, why are you so weird? Right? Why? What is up with you? You have to be ready to give an answer. You have to be ready to teach. And so that's the point of growing, right? Not because your beard is so awesome and God loves you so much. No, it's so that you can have the ability to share Jesus accurately so they can see Jesus, so they can come to faith, so they can add to their faith moral excellence, so they can add to that knowledge, right? That's what God is doing. He is reproducing believers Disciples, I like 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, which says that through us spreads a fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. You are called to share Jesus. Like, not like what we had this morning um, when we came in, but, uh, but uh, something that smells good. <laughs> we had a skunk visitor at some point in this morning. I don't think it was Paul. I'm assuming it was a skunk. Whole place was terrible. But you, you were to smell, like, I love that imagery. Just your presence permeates the room. Your presence permeates the area with holiness and godliness and love and peace and patience. This is just sort of emanating from you, and people just kind of catch it. That's what should be happening uh, with us. And so we are increasing um, and adding to our virtue uh, we're adding knowledge to that. Now, after this, he says that we should add to our knowledge self-control or self-mastery. Uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 20 says this, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes a knowledge of sin. So in this way, what Paul is doing is he's, he's saying that it's not keeping a set of virtues, it's not keeping a moral code that's going to identify you as a Christian and bring you to salvation. No, faith through Jesus Christ does that. Um, and what the law allows us to do, what study, what knowledge allows us to do, is it allows us to be able to identify those things we ought to steer clear from. from. It begins to shape us. So ignorance of the speed limit will not get you out of a ticket, Okay? But if you know the speed limit, you will slow down because you're all speeders, right? You will slow down when you see the cop. And that's what the law does. That's what scripture does. It doesn't justify you. No, faith through Jesus Christ, our Lord, justifies us. But what scripture and knowledge is able to do is it's able to shape us and bring us to the point where we can begin to see right from wrong. And let me suggest to you, because the virtue piece of this, so he says, add to faith, Virtue, moral excellence, that's the right or wrong bit. That's the blatantly obvious, don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery, these kinds of things. Adding to that knowledge then brings us to the place of self-mastery, of self-control. Let me suggest to you that that is slightly, slightly different. Um, What self-mastery or self-control has to do with, it, it controls what I would call 
the gray area, the gray area of life. Because it's probably not quite a sin to binge watch two seasons of Star Trek over the weekend. No? Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> so probably, probably not, I'm preaching to us, Carl. I, I'm sorry, just hold on to something. Uh, I'm calling this out. It's, it's probably not a sin to do that. But is that the best use of one's time? Is that bringing glory to God? Is that bringing me to a deeper knowledge and love of Jesus Christ? Is that loving God with all my heart, my soul, my strength, my might? Is that loving my neighbor as myself? Is that bringing together this kind of life that emanates like a fragrance? The glory, the promise, the goodness, the love of God. That's, that's probably not doing those things, right? And so what self-mastery is, is self-mastery, self-control, is that area where now we're be the people who are beyond the right and wrong questions. We don't need to ask, well, is this a sin, is this not a sin, and making lists so that I make sure I don't do the wrong things, I'm doing the right things. We become the kind of people who are able to say, what's the best thing? What's the best thing? And we begin to then pursue, what's the best thing? What is God really going to do with me? What's going to add to my life? What's going to add to my faith? I like this passage um, from Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. And um, I'm, I'm adding a little bit here, but in this, this passage, uh, Paul is dealing with some issues within this community. And these Corinthians, they say, hey, listen, all things are lawful. And what they mean by that is, listen, if Jesus has saved you by his grace and you sin tomorrow, well, you're forgiven, right? So is it really a sin? Oh, you know, no, it's, 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 it's not that big a deal. It's, it's lawful. I'm lawful. I'm justified before God's grace. If we talk about um, eating and drinking, which is their particular issue in this, in this, uh, in this scenario, they say, listen, uh, you know, I can eat McDonald's every single day. That's not a sin. All things are lawful, right? All things are lawful. And what is Paul's response? He says, yeah, but not all things are helpful. Right? That's, this is the mature Christian position right here. Not all things are helpful. All things are lawful. It's, it's not a sin to binge watch two seasons of Star Trek. But not all things build up. Not all things build up. Right? This is the mature, this is the self-mastery bit. What the world should look at when it sees a, a Christian is not just somebody who steers clear of right and wrong. Not just somebody who doesn't cuss and drink and go with girls that do. Wait, and I missed the chew part. Chew, thank you. Who was that? Okay. Good. Somebody knew what I was, where I was going with that. I appreciate it. Um, you know, it, not just the person who steers away from, but the person who has mastered their life. Their their house is in order. They're they're meeting with. They're no longer ruled by TV guide if that exists anymore. I feel like I'm dating myself. Uh, by the schedules of the TV, right? They're no longer mastered by the schedule of the school or the sports. They're no longer mastered by their own wishes and desires. They're no mastered by their stomach. They're mastered by the word of God and they leave order, peaceful, quiet, humble lives that are like a fragrance to the world around them. That people look at us and they wonder, you know, 
this, this is important because as we talked about last week, there are all kinds of examples of people who have mastered their life. So you think of athletes who get up early and they work really hard to, to win the prize. Or you think of academics who spend hours in study and, and writing books and reading books you know, so that they can get that uh, coveted tenured track professorship. Or you might think of the great humanitarians who, who are out and about in the world looking to s- save people who are sick or uh, hungry or whatever. But in all of these instances, what we have is a picture of somebody who is going with the grain of their desires. They want the prize, so they work hard to get the prize. Right? They want the position, so they work hard to get the position. They want to save people, and so they're working. It goes with their... But in this text here, what we're seeing is people who are resisting the grain of their own will. So much so that the liar is now truthful. The pervert is now monogamous. The thief is now an honest worker. The glutton is now sober. The gossip now builds up. The judgmental, and this is something we wrestle with, isn't it? Is now merciful. The greedy is now charitable. You see, so what, what, what God is working in our lives, what God is trying to shape in the life of the average Christian, in your life, what he is trying to shape is for you to see that by grace you've been saved, you've been given this faith, and he's calling you to add moral excellence, follow, do right, not wrong, love God, love your neighbor, right? And add to that a knowledge, a deepening understanding of truth, a deepening relationship with God that is fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit that is residing in you right now so that you might be the person who begins to move past the black and white and begins to ask the question of how can I follow God best? It's not wrong, it's not right. I want to know God. Will this get me closer to him so that we might master ourselves so that as we read in 2 Corinthians, that we might become a fragrance that permeates Portage, that permeates Kalamazoo, that challenges the darkness, that changes people's lives because they look at you and you shine like stars in the darkness. That is your promise. That is your glory. That's those great and precious promises that that God has given over to you that you might stand out, that you might save souls, that God might use you as a mighty instrument of his purpose, of his will for his glory. Is that what you want? That's what Peter's talking about. He's saying, set aside all this stuff. Set aside these things that entangle you and distract you and set your face towards the light of the sun. Set your face towards the glory of God and pursue it. Make every single effort possible to know God deeper. To control your life, your time, your habits, your hobbies. That you might shine that you might be a fragrance of Christ everywhere you go. This has been a really crazy weekend of good and bad things. Um, yesterday we had the privilege, well, uh, Jim had the privilege of baptizing his daughter, Audrey, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, today we got to see Eric, who's n- never held a position formally in the church, uh, ordained as a deacon, as a servant, just a recognition of what he has already been up to. And today we have uh, two more baptisms. Um, and so there's, 
the darkness is losing, right? The darkness is always losing because darkness cannot stand in the presence of light. It offers no opposition. It just goes out, poof. So be the light. Be the light. Let's stand as we sing.